This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi, Jinx! With me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is season 14 contestant, Jasmine Kennedy. We have so much in common. We get on like old chums, and this is our first conversation ever. She's delightful. We talk about mental health, self-care, trans issues, and other fun topics. <laughs> it might sound heavy, but we have absolutely just the most lovely, delightful, cheerful, joyful conversation. So get ready for a deep, heavy conversation spoken through a light and airy voice <laughs> today on Hijinks. So buckle up, hunker down, and shank your teeth into some brand new Hijinks. M. Oh. M. Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by fellow drag race sister, Lip Sync Assassin, and she is also known as the Mouth Almighty. Jasmine Kennedy. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Jinx. So, um, let's start with some honesty. <laughs> For, on my part, don't worry, don't worry. This isn't gotcha journalism. On my part, here is some honesty. I have not seen season 14 yet, and I have a very good reason, okay? Um, I had just filmed... All Stars when season 14 was airing and I was on a strict drag race detox as mm. in I could not consume anything drag race related until my season aired. Now I'm going to go home and binge season 14 and any other seasons I missed along the way. But I was in a hard detox because what would happen is I tried watching the first episode of season 14 and I kid you yeah. not, 20 minutes in, my housemate turned to me and was like, whoa, you don't look all right. <laughs> all of your mental psychosis goes I was, back to it. Oh, the, yeah, I was like back in it. I was shaking. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I just honestly couldn't watch Drag Race without my brain spiraling and spinning. Granted, I was I had yet to figure out my medication <laughs> dosages yet. <laughs> I and I was 
I, I'm in a very strong, very great place now. And obviously the season's ended. I'm happy with the results. I should be able to watch anything yes. without it triggering me. But, but I haven't gotten around happy. to it because I'm also a little busy right now. But I want you to know, I want you to know every time, um, every every season of Drag Race, if I'm late on an episode, if I've missed an episode, uh, or in this case, if I'm hard detoxing from it, I still keep up with everything on Instagram. Right. And thank oh, God yeah. that Instagram now just kind of gives us a recap because yep. I think it's kind of my responsibility as a as sister a to and keep, a yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to keep abreast of what's going on in the world. Cause right. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, be a, I don't want to be a BB Zahara Benet sitting yeah. there on the couch saying who the hell's Ornacia. You know? Right. You don't want to be oblivious to the, uh, to the, the whole franchise. I agree. I can agree whenever I got back from Drag Race and after watching my season, I very, very seldomly watched others just because I needed the mental moment for that. You always do, I think. It's, you, you just need a little break. Yeah. You, and it's just a, a little bit of time. That's all it is. is you just yeah. need a little time from things sometimes. And um, so I just want you to know that as we discuss things today, I might need you to fill in some certain gaps. But I like you. I said, I, I, I kept up with the season through Instagram. <laughs> like Instagram gives you a very big recap of essentially all the major things that happen. So it's, uh, it's I trust you. You probably know your knowledge okay. more than me. <laughs> so I'd like to know first and foremost, what led to you auditioning and getting on season 14? And what was, what were your thoughts going in? Let's pretend you know, you know nothing of what's to come. Where were you when you decided to go on Drag Race? I was, so let's see, I was in the middle of the, pan, or was tail end, middle of the pandemic. Um, auditioning season, I think, was like November, December. So we weren't, New York City wasn't really busy at that time. And I had a lot of time at home, you know, sitting contemplating what I wanted to do. And the year prior, I did put in an audition tape when I was 20, but I wasn't allowed to, you know, you're not going to get it on until you're 21. So I just put it in there, you know, to like have some shits and giggles with it. And then when COVID but was hitting, it was that's, like, what? that's pretty damn smart. I don't know if a lot of girls have done that, but you get your face and your name in their brains. Yeah. A year before you're actually eligible. Yeah. yeah. And like what it was, was like in New York City, you always feel pressured by like the, you know, the New York City environment to have to put an audition tape in because everyone is so competitive in New York City to get on. And I think when I was 20, I was just like, oh, well, I'm a New York City girl. I have to do it, you know. Um, but the reason I think my second audition was really, you know, the kicker was I think that I was in a place at the time where I really didn't have anything going on, but also I didn't really have anything to hold back or um, you know, lose from auditioning and giving my authentic self. And I think from the time between those two audition tapes, I really got a sense of what I wanted to do with my drag and what I wanted to do as a career and really, you know, focus in on my drag. I've been, I was doing drag before then, you know, full-time in New York City for four years. And I was like, I really want to make a stamp. So with my audition process, you know, it was very, I tried to keep it very to myself, you know, filmed everything in my own drag room. I didn't really like, you know, have a lot of help. I had my boyfriend film some of my runways, but I really just 
you know, presented my audition as if it was, you know, how I wanted to be presented on television. You know, I created my little interview segments and things like that, where I just basically showed them all assets of me. And I think, you know, it really stuck and it resonated with them. And, you know, before going on the show, I was very, you know, nervous because when you're auditioning, you hear, you know, rumors of who in your city may be going on. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I really didn't hear of anybody. And I was like nervous. I was like, they're not going to cast one New York City girl. Like, that's just, that's not a thing. And then, and then when I got there and I found that out, I think that was what put me, you know, in a, like a crazy, like, oh crap, I'm the only New York City uh, girl. But my intentions going into the show were mainly just, you know, I knew what I was good at. I know I'm good at talking and I know I'm good at performing. So I think I really, you know, going into it led into that, you know, just knowing what I was comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to know what, what is it like being an underage drag queen in New York? Cause you said you'd been doing drag for four <laughs> years. So that puts you yeah. at about what? 16, 17 when you started. I, was, I started were... when I was technically 15, but that was in a different state, but I'll Me tell you that. Too. Oh! Me too. I started at 15, but um, I was lucky cause in Portland there, there was an all ages gay dance club at the time. And then once I was known there, like my name was floating around at the other drag bars and stuff. And I've always looked older in drag. So literally if I showed up in drag, they would just let me in and I'd work the show and no one would card me or question my age. They just assumed I had to be there. Um, so Actually, it started, I had this tradition for a very, very long time, basically until Drag Race, where whatever show I was doing, I would get in full drag at home, even if there was a dressing room space for me, get in full drag at home and, you know, get myself to the club, whether that be walking, on my bike, <laughs> on public yep. transportation. <laughs> yep. And what I realized, and I would really feel my oats, you know, being full drag going around the world. Oh, yeah. When I... <laughs> What I realize now looking back on it is like it started as a practicality, but what it became was that walk to the club, like especially I think in Seattle, I would get ready at home, walk to Julia's on Broadway um, in full drag, you know, feeling my oats. And then yeah. I'd stay in full drag after the show. And if we went out, I'd be the only girl in, in full drag yeah. looking back on it. It was me expressing my femininity before I was like doing that in my day-to-day -day life. Now I do that in my day-to-day -day life and I can't tell you, after a show, I am lickety split. I am out of drag. Wow. Yeah. I mean, starting like underage in New York City is a very, I guess you could say hard thing to do. Um, mm -hmm. Essentially what gave me the courage to like continue doing it was the first time I ever went out in Aquaria. New York City. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, she's actually technically um, kind of involved in it a little, but not fully. But it was my first time ever going out in New York City just to go out to the clubs. And it was the Look Queen pageant hosted by Bob and Dusty was doing it. And it was the year Aquaria was stepping down. Mm. And I remember I was going to the club. I had my fake ID ready to go. And I was in full drag, getting walking to that door, being as confident as can be. And they were just like, you're good. And I was just like, what i'm good i was like okay this is this is pretty cool i i'll take it and i agree i have had a tendency to paint older and i 
Um, <laughs> my, I, and you could see that on the show that my drag mother really helped me kind of realize that like, if I do want to be working, I should probably disguise my age a little bit. Um, <laughs> so she taught me how to paint a little bit heavier. And like, after that, I never got clocked. But what happened was I first started at Drag Wars at Pieces Bar, um, hosted by Shaquita Hall, still to this day, still does it. Shaquita! And- <laughs> yes, I love her to death. Her and her husband actually helped me a lot when I first got into the city. Um, I started getting there, you know, earlier, like the the trick for like underage is like, I'd get there a little bit earlier than everybody else. So I wouldn't get clocked or anything and, um, you know, painted heavy. But I remember, um, after doing the competition a couple of times, Shaquita pulled me over and she was like, Hey, uh, just random question. Like, how old are you? I was like, I'm 22. She goes, okay, I'm going to let you try one more time. How old are you? I was like, I'm 22. She goes, baby, I know underage when I see it. How old are you? And then I told her. And she was like, thank you for being honest. She said, I'm not going to kick you out of the bar. You're fine. I trust you. You're very responsible. But, you know, like, let me like help you help guide you a little bit. So after that, you know, I started doing that competition and I went to other competitions because I felt a little bit more safe. And then Madeline Hatter actually casted me for turn Wednesdays. This was all underage, mind you. I still haven't turned 21. I turned 21 in the pandemic. So everything pre-pandemic, pre-show has all been underage for me, um, which is crazy to think because um, I was working in City for four years. And um, yeah, I started working Madeline's show for Turnt Wednesdays, um, which was really fun. She, you know, also knew my age and she, you know, was very protective of that. And I think what it is, is at, when you are underage in drag, you need to first respect the environment you're in you also need to not take up the space as if you know you're a child because you (laughs) you have to realize that you're coming into an environment where there's adults we all have careers here and we're all trying to you know put a best foot forward you don't need to be the catty little bratty like twink you know brand new off the track like type of girl and I think that's what really you know helped me was I was very humble I very was quiet I did my gigs I showed up on time and you know, I don't, I think everybody turned a blind eye to it. And then when I turned 21 and I made my like announcement post that I'm like 21, everybody was like, girl, we already knew. So <laughs> it was very like, I was trying to pull the wool over the hat, but it didn't really work. And what clocked me was I had a photo of my graduation photo from uh, like from high school in my tagged photos. And I never deleted it. And Jasmine, <laughs> Jasmine Rice LaBeija literally took a screen cap of it and like was like literally like like was like oh I got it girl I know I know you're underage but I literally I was like that was the like clock away that I never deleted a tag photo off of my Instagram. <laughs> I. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I was under, for everyone to know, I didn't start drinking until I was 22. So like, I mean, literally, (laughs) I, I like, I had a couple drinks at 21 at a party, but I was always the goodiest of goody two shoes. Like I didn't, I didn't start smoking weed till I think early twenties. And I didn't drink until 22 um, when I was like done with college because First of all, my college life was nuts because I was, you know, I was getting four hours of sleep a night, working as a janitor in the morning, going to classes, going to rehearsals, working drag on the weekends. And 
So yeah, I didn't tempt fate. I didn't start drinking because I was afraid if I ever got if I ever got drunk and then mm-hmm. someone found out how old I was, yes. you know, that would blow the whole thing. So that was the big um, thing for me too. There was a bar that hired me under age and they knew of my age. Um, mm. and they were very seldomly like strict about it. They're like, I'm not controlling you, but you cannot be seen as drunk. You can't be seen as sloppy. You can't be seen as this. And that's a really big thing, you know, in terms of like protecting your career, especially at a young age, you don't want to do anything in the community that'll give you a red flag for other people to notice and then do more investigation on you. Not saying, you know, everybody should go out and underage do drag, but if you're (laughs) going to do it, you need to be responsible and you need to know what you're doing, you know? Well, I think, I think, you know, one thing that we have to consider here is that, you know, uh, people might see an underage person working in bars and thinking Mm -hmm. that person you know, is probably drinking, that person's probably this or that. But the truth is, I just wanted to fucking do drag. I just wanted to perform. I wanted to do drag. And there, you know, I had my underage dance club that I worked at. um, Right. But that's only one show a week. And I needed, you know, I got into drag because I wanted to be on stage constantly. Right. Like doing the doing the after school plays and doing my ballet recitals and stuff, that wasn't enough. Like I needed yeah. more stage time. Yeah. No, I agree. I think because when I agree with that like fully because when I was living in upstate New York when I first started drag, I only had shows maybe once a week. Um, and maybe even if like Binghamton is a very small town in upstate New York and they do have shows weekly, but there wasn't really a gay bar at the time. We were performing at clubs, like under highway passages and like, you know, like it was very like not cute. And that was like when I was 16, 17 and 18. And when I moved to New York city and I, I was going to school at FIT at the same time as starting my drag career there, um, I realized I was like, this is what I want to do. Like school's great right now. It's basically just a housing unit. Cause I'm not even going to my classes. Like okay. I, I failed statistics twice. Like it just, I knew college wasn't for me. And whenever, you know, you make that shift into, you know, wanting to perform, like only being able to perform a couple times a month to being able to perform maybe four times a week. That's an exciting feeling, you know, and you want to continue doing that and pushing, you know, your drag. Like that was, like New York City, my first three years there was really my stomping grounds and learning how to, you know, deal with a quick paced environment of working constantly, but also, um, you know, having to like balance life. You know, it was a very quick, you know, transition from 18 to dropping out of college and starting drag full time and living in New York City and paying for it. So yeah. it also teaches the girls to like mature up quick and like, you know, get a face of reality. I think that's what a lot of the younger queens that are, you know, like you said, they just want to perform, but also they want to have that learn of, they want to learn what it's like in the community and how it works, you know? Yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
so it sounds like you finished high school and mm-hmm. um i uh, you know i i was I was managing high school. You know, I was actually a fucking honor student because I'm a Virgo overachiever. Yeah. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to be, you know, like um, working as a drag queen on the weekends, going to high school. Mm. I also had to have straight A's and take all the fucking honors classes. So um, I, (laughs) you know, everyone close to me knew how old I was. But um, it wasn't like, I'm sure it was a very similar thing. Like when I actually did turn 21, everyone was like, oh, she's finally 21. But but I remember it caused tension between me and um, some other performers sometimes (laughs) because they'd be like, "Um, Jinx, I know you weren't scheduled to perform last night, but we all went out to this pageant or to this ball or to this crowning or coronation and you weren't there. And it's a really bad look that you weren't there and I was a title holder so they were like Rosebud the current Rosebud of Portland wasn't seen at the coronation last night and and you know people talked and I just looked at my friends with like the hugest expression I was like I had an essay due I had (laughs) I had a fucking lab report to do what do you what I, I mean like can I, can you cut me a little slack here? Yeah. I am still in high school. And they right. were like, well, you're a title holder. There's certain expectations. I was like, yeah, I'm an underage title holder. My title right. is for underage people. You can't give me a crown and then ask me to drop out of high school. Like, right. come on. <laughs> um, so there's always this like balance with drag. I, you know, we have to find our own balances because drag is so fantastical and drag is so much about, you know, the hyper, the hyper everything, you know? Yeah. It's, and then to balance a muggle life, you know, with your (laughs) drag life, that is a challenge we all must face. Where are you at today with kind of balancing your, your personal life with your career and your drag self, which let's face it, drag is something you think about 24 seven. Everything's giving you an idea. Everything's making you think about drag because drag is our art form. It's our career, but it's also our lifestyle. And it's also an extension of who we are. So as much time as a normal person spends thinking about themselves, a drag queen spends double that because she's thinking about herself and her drag persona. (laughs) I agree. I think in the beginning when I was announced, it was definitely a little of um, like a, a shake up. I didn't really fully process how to handle it, you know, and the the constant working and the social medias and, you know, but also staying in communication with my family. I think in the beginning, it was a little yeah. bit of a struggle, but I think when I went to Vegas live, I kind of had a moment to reset and kind of, you know, mm. get myself back on, you know, a communicative path with like family members and stuff. And I will say this, it definitely does get to you in terms of, you know, it definitely does consume your life at a point, you know, where you're in the middle of like, you know, the season's airing and it's just all drag races all or drag in general is on your head. What am I doing next? What am I doing, you know, in the next couple of weeks? How am I going to turn it out? And I think, you know, my partner, Michael, has really helped me, you know, when I'm home to kind of find like a sense of like not working or focusing on other things. Because when I used to, in the beginning of, this, of 
you know, my announcement. I was very just focused on the work, came home, worked on the next thing and went to the next. But what I realized was when I didn't give myself that time to, you know, relax, recharge, um, have a moment, like a conversation without being on my phone, you know, there was so many things that I realized I was like regressing into that wasn't necessarily like healthy for my like at home life and things like that, that I really wanted, you know, to get on top of it. So I think, you know, my boyfriend was very helpful in being like, Hey, stop, like get off your phone and just play a video game or get out and like hang out with the cats. Like just put your phone somewhere else. You know, I think we're also glued to our phones because, you know, we have to be, you know, it's our, it's our form of contacts with like our promoters and our making sure we're doing advertisements, but there is, you know, a sense of having to like cut off your drag world and focus on life. You know, like since moving to Vegas, I've taken times out of my weeks to just focus on like furnishing my house or, you know, cooking a really nice meal and like having quality time with my partner or, you know, FaceTiming my sister or my mom, like to try to make sure I'm staying in contact with them and my dad, you know, I think it's, you can't forget the people that were around you or that were helping you beforehand the show. If, Mm -hmm. you know, 99% of the time, unless they turn out like assholes and just want to use you. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's, you have to remember, you know, that there was a life before and there's a life after Mm -hmm. and you have to stay connected and like realize that like your career is everything. Yes. It's your passion. It's your drive, but you also have to focus on like your mental health and your sanity and your physical health, you know, touring, you know, or, and working constantly does a real hindrance on your body. Like my body. Like I, I remember after like just like my first month and a half of like bookings, I was just like, holy crap. It's like yeah. exhausting, you know, like with traveling in time zones and not being in the comfort of your own bed, your body does really get fatigued and you do have to take care of it, you know, making sure you're eating healthily and properly and making sure you're staying hydrated. Cause like nine times out of 10, when you land for a gig, you're going to the hotel, showering, shaving, getting ready, going to the club, having a couple cocktails, maybe getting a food in and then going to the next place. And you totally mm-hmm. forgot like dinner, water, you know, things to keep you like going. And it you can just forget sometimes and you can like yeah. really let yourself like lose, you know, and not in like, it's, it was in the beginning, it took me a little bit, but after I started realizing, you know, if you just split up, you know, if you schedule the days, like whatever's scheduled on my schedule, whatever's drag is drag, whatever is not drag, mm-hmm. I try to keep it out of the house or I just don't even work on it because it will mesh, you know, into two lives mm-hmm. and it, it won't keep them separate. And like, I remember like a big thing was me and my boyfriend, like our communication in the beginning. I remember he was like, mm-hmm. babe, I'm not talking to you as much, things like that. Like, I'm not hearing from you. And it made me realize that I was like, holy shit, like you really do have to have a sense of what you're doing and also like mm-hmm. how you're working you definitely have to have that split because if you don't your whole life is going to be drag and drag is amazing and it's great and it's everything we need but at the same time you need to have a moment to focus on yourself and i think Absolutely. that's the concept for drag queens especially like trying like every drag queen's goal is to either get on drag race or get you know some type of you know notoriety with that and a lot mm-hmm. of girls don't stop until they get on you know yeah so it's very it's a very daunting lifestyle you know getting corseted potted, talked paint for eight hours of the day like it's it's very you know time consuming and you have to be mentally and physically and emotionally ready for it yeah 
You know, you 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 touch on so many things that I think are so astute, um, and a lot of things that I. It took me years to kind of get into the mindset that you just described because, you know, with season five, even though Drag Race was really, you know, it was climbing in popularity, it was climbing in notoriety, uh, you know, it had a bigger budget, but mm -hmm. that was still like, you know, a decade ago and so much has changed. And I do think that like, I think it's conversations like this and drag queens who have been on the show sharing their experiences that are allowing the new girls to come onto the show to kind of see, like, I was convinced you have to strike while the iron's hot because we don't know when this is going to end. And you have to take every single gig because you don't know when the gigs will stop coming. And there was a lot of pressure to just constantly be working because we really did think this might go away at any moment. Now it's 10 years later and that's those thoughts might still be true. You know, like there might be a moment when the bubble pops, but I think we're seeing now that if you are, you know, committed to what you do, if you're smart about how you do it, if you take care of yourself and focus on longevity rather than just, you know, doing every single thing, um, there, there's no reason to believe that taking some time off is going to kill your career. You know, there's no reason to believe that you have to run yourself ragged to be doing a good job at this. Yeah. Like, Willow just just won. I don't know if you heard, but Willow just won. <laughs> and she and I were talking backstage in Portland at her Pride gig. And I was asking her, what are you doing next? You know, because that's what everyone asked me right after I won. Like, yep. what do you got planned? What are, what are you doing? And she said through a mouthful of papaya salad, I'm going to finish <laughs> yep. out these pride. Uh, I'm I'm going to finish out these pride gigs, and then I'm taking some time off. And I was like, "Fucking brilliant!" Like, yeah, I I didn't even I had no idea that that was even possible when I won. And... Well, also when you get a hundred. <laughs> oh yeah that that extra 50 gives you some time for for, for some extra downtime um but i just see you know i don't know i don't want to say proud because proud sounds condescending it sounds like i'm coming from this place of oh you young kids make me so proud uh, but it is starting to get that way it's starting to but, get that way. <laughs> you know, I am like 10 years older than most of the girls on the new seasons. <laughs> but I right. do feel proud to see. I just see the girls going on with, you know, just a better understanding of what life is going to be like once you go and on I this think, show. And I think that helps that there's been so many seasons, you know, once, you know, there's girls from your city that have been on they kind of can give you a rundown before you go on just like hey just get mentally prepared for this i remember like yeah. olivia lux and who else um rose as well as who else i think britta as well they just gave me like a mental like preparation of like hey mm -hmm. just so you know shit's gonna hit the fan and it's gonna hit the fan either in a good way or in a bad way and you can't really control it so you just have to breathe and like mm -hmm. not focus 
so much on like the little itty bitty things. And what I love so much, what Willow, because we all as a, you know, cast, like commend her for what she's doing because she, you know, she took the time to, you know, focus on touring and things like that. But also she has a chronic illness that she needs to focus mm-hmm. on health. And I think what's great about the newer generations of, you know, drag coming in and things like that is like with younger people comes like more awareness of mental health and, you know, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. Like, when you need to stop or realizing when you've had you know too much it's never like like you said it was never a bad time to check yourself and take a break from drag because also those breaks are sometimes the times that you grow the most you Mm -hmm. know like taking that break after you know i didn't do gigs for a little bit um i did it i didn't do them for as long as i could until i couldn't pay rent anymore um but essentially <laughs> like taking that break and kind of reviving yourself you know kind of sheds a new light into what you see your drag going into and i think once if you're going at a constant pace 24 7 365 you never really have a chance to like reflect and grow from where you've been so yeah. i think it's he's doing that too because also like she can focus during that time, maybe not fully on drag, but also you can focus on projects that you want to do in the future or like randomly, you, like when you're taking breaks, like some of the best ideas come up that like you can write down and jot and work on later. Oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I say all of this, I talk about the importance of downtime while I am currently in my, sure. like, I'm doing my club <laughs> tours and um, I'm I'm making all the appearances. Me and the All-Star 7 girls are playing musical chairs with each other at yeah. all the clubs like, and stuff. Were you there last week? Well, I was very <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> but um, I, I I have a writing retreat with Dela for our next um, holiday tour, and that won't be downtime. That'll be working. But I got to say, you know, even just diversifying the gigs that you're doing, so you're not, like, touring constantly. You mm-hmm. mentioned that when you were doing the live show in Vegas, that the, mm-hmm. it was a time that you were able to kind of reconnect with family. You know what it probably was is that you were in one place. You know, yeah. the travel really takes a lot. And it's not just it's not just the, the time it consumes and going through the airport, but then you're exhausted. Like you mentioned, you know, for me as someone with like a spine injury and arthritis, I can go see my chiropractor and I feel amazing. I go on, you know, one four hour flight and I wake up, you know, delirious in a new city and I'm all fucked up again. You know? <laughs> it really gets sometimes when like, I remember we had the Emmys this week. I literally got home for 17 hours. I had 17 mm-hmm. hours to last and sleep and then go on to my next tour. And like that, like 17 hours was, got me like, like rested, but also like fully, like just my body was just ugh, gone, yeah. you know? And I think, um, knowing your limits, especially like, I'm like for your back injury, is a spina bifida? What do you have for your spine? No, injury? it's when I was hit by a car in Amsterdam. Oh. <laughs> Some people think that's just like a bit or just like a story I tell. Mama, it was, I was, uh, I flipped over the car. It was like a fucking, you know, that's, have you, oh my God, this is so obscure and I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Um, Do you remember that Melissa McCarthy movie, Identity Thief? (laughs) <laughs> you yeah. must have been like <laughs> she got hit by the car. She hard. <laughs> yeah. 
It was in the trailer. I literally watched all of Identity Thief. It wasn't a great movie, but I watched all of it just to see that scene because it was in the trailer and it was so funny. Did Melissa McCarthy is such a great physical comedian. Mama, it was that. I was hit by a car. And I think she gets hit by the back end of the car and that... For whatever reason, the car was driving backwards. It came whipping around the corner, driving backwards. And I think that's why they didn't see me. Also, it was Amsterdam. No one drives in Amsterdam. So I don't know how this happened. They all have but, bikes, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I have to get, you know, adjustments. And I, I work with chiropractors to try to undo some of that damage that I let lie dormant. You know what it is. And this is such a good metaphor for life and why I wrote my whole fucking speech about it. But the the injury was fairly small when I got hit by the car, but my spine got knocked out of alignment in three different places. But mm -hmm. it was so minor and my body was able to compensate that I never felt the effects of being hit by that car until seven years later, my body has built up all this scar tissue right. to because of all the compensation my body's been doing for the last seven years, trying to compensate for this thing that I've ignored the scar tissue built up and now it's you know like causing extra pressure and pushing me farther out of alignment and what a great metaphor for life you let a problem you let a problem sit there and you ignore it and the problem becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and you might find ways to compensate but those become harder and harder and harder throughout life and and it puts a bigger strain on you throughout life until seven years later you haven't dealt with this issue and here you are like your spine is in an s shape and you yeah. wake up feeling like you've been hit by yeah. a car um Literally. So, <laughs> so i do think uh, I, I think one thing i learned from it is even minor things when they happen they might feel minor but you know, like if something feels off, it might be uncomfortable and it might be difficult, but the sooner you're able to address that thing, you know, like when I have issues with my friends, those closest to me, we're all so busy and we're all so tired from work because um, uh -huh. we're all like everyone close to me essentially now is working in entertainment and some facet, except for a couple of my housemates, they keep me grounded, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but when everyone's so busy and everyone's, this is how my argument arguments with my best friends go now. It's like, we might say something that sets the other one off. And then someone says, are you upset? And because we're from the Pacific Northwest, we go, no, I'm not. upset. <laughs> and then, and then literally like five minutes later, it's, you know what? Actually, I am upset. Yeah. You pissed me off when you said this. I'd love an apology. If I did anything to like cause you to say that to me, then I'd love to know what I did that like caused you to lash out at me so that I can make sure I'm not doing that to trigger you. Then the other person goes, you're right. I did say something mean. I do apologize. I If I had to assign it to something, it's this, this, and this. Here's the yeah. way I'll be more conscious to it. And literally, that's how our fights go now. Yeah. We literally, it's like a, it's like a fucking board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> Dayla and I had to become very, because we work so intensely together. Mm -hmm. We're both entertainers. We're both drag queens. We're both the stars of our own movie. We right. had to like very much get to that place where we're like, 
Are you upset? Yes, here's why. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, and that's how I'm not going to do it again. And literally, that's what keeps us able to coexist, yeah. you know? I, I think the best way to resolve conflict because, you know, even though I had some conflict on the show, I'm very, <laughs> um, I'm very upfront about resolving it. You know, I think in a work environment, there should, if there's tension, it should be addressed, it should be handled easily. And like the thing is in, you know, any working relationship when you're working with someone else, it's you, like you have your feelings about something and they have their feelings about it, you know, but if you're able to communicate on where you see different, but also see similarities, it works a lot easier 10 times. Like you don't have to necessarily agree a hundred percent of the time with what your friends or, you know, what like, you know, your coworkers or things like that are doing or saying, but if you guys have a general understanding of knowing like, Hey, I felt this way. Thank you. Like, I like, I know you didn't mean it that way, but it needs to be addressed. It just makes, mm-hmm. you know, the whole relationship better. You know, perfect example, me and Daya, we didn't have a conversation our entire season, you know, even up until the reunion about how we felt about each other. Not till <laughs> we have that conversation, did our relationship move into such a better and normal, natural, you know, friendship. And I think communication, I like, me and my boyfriend stress it so much in our relationship that like communication is key, but that's really how to make an easy work life balance happen is just by communicating your feelings. You know, yeah. it doesn't hurt. Cause yeah. And I mean, I haven't always been good at communicating my feelings in groups. Like I'm really good one-on-one, yeah. but I, um, when we were filming all stars, you know, I often was having, and I talked about this to Rue, um, Rue and Michelle during my Tic Tac lunch, but I was constantly having flashbacks to season five, which was a very isolating experience for me. But All Star Seven, we were truly a sisterhood. But because I kept having those like flashbacks to season five, I constantly was like kind of holding back my emotions or kind of just being quiet because I didn't want to burden everyone else with like my anxieties, you know, like being someone with depression, anxiety, and OCD, like I know how fatiguing I can be to other people, you know? Yeah, I know. So so many of my friends are like, if we have this, we've had this conversation three times already. So if we have it again, I'm going to need like something new has to have happened because otherwise you're just rehashing it to torture yourself. So I've learned to like save certain conversations for my therapist. I've learned to not like you know, your friends are there to lean on, but, you know, they can't always take on the emotional weight, you know, like you can't, you can't abuse that privilege of having those friends who are willing to let you vent and willing to take on some of your emotional weight and baggage. You can't abuse that privilege because you don't want to fatigue your friend with your own stuff because that's forgetting that they have their own stuff. So I was, I was guarded at times and Every single time, eventually, one girl would be like, Jinx, will you just let us know what you're going through so that we're not guessing what you're going through? And then I would express what I was going through, and everyone would be so supportive and be like, oh, we're all feeling the same way, honey. If you talk about it, we can all we can all share in that together. And so it was this tricky balance of not wanting to not wanting to burden my castmates with crazy, crazy thoughts I'm having that are literally being generated only here. Um, 
have no basis in reality, you know? Um, it was the balance between, you know, that, but then also trusting that like these, and, and we had such a blessed experience and I know that uh, no one going home afforded us that experience, you know? Yeah. So I don't take it lightly, but um, yeah, it's, it, mental health is an ongoing conversation. If you think that there's a way that you're just going to one day, all of a sudden, <laughs> be no, that's not possible. cured, fixed, sane, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's something you always have to work on. Like for me, I was diagnosed when I was 16 with ADHD. Well, it was ADD at the time. They weren't using ADHD back then. Um, and essentially, um, it really, you know, from that, I had to learn and adapt, you know, how to communicate with others and how to, um, like, realize what that does on my mental health. You know, like, with ADHD, you're always constantly overthinking. You are constantly 15 places at once. You know, you're not necessarily always thinking in the present, but always thinking in the future. And that sometimes doesn't, it also affects the people around you, you know, if you're, you know, constantly going and, you know, you know, just manic almost sometimes, you know, like I remember when I've had days where I'm just fucking crazy, you know, talking off, going, like going everywhere, trying to get things done, but at the same time, like causing chaos. And, um, it really can take a toll on your ability to function during the day. If you don't have a grasp on how, you know, your, um, your diagnosis is affecting your daily life. And it took me, you know, I thought I was good, you know, before going on the show, you know, I thought I, you know, I've had a consistent environment. I've had a welcome, like I've had a, you know, like a very good grasp on like how to handle it, but going into it, I really, it just goes straight out the window. Like all that, you know, work and progress that I did beforehand kind of just went out the window. Cause I'm in a new environment. I have no idea um, how it's affecting people. And I think after the show is when I had to kind of reassess and re, you know, like realize the functions again of what I have to do to counteract my tendencies and how to, you know, adapt to situations that I don't also have full control of, or, um, you know, having like a conversation, you know, that goes back and forth. You know, I think you're, Health is always an evolving thing, especially mentally. And there's always something in your life that can attribute and affect it. So it's not just, I fixed it and I'm good. It'll never be that, you know, always a constant, oh, this happened. And what is it doing to me that's affecting my tendencies or my, you know, my symptoms? And identifying those things is how you handle them better the next time. The, The more honest you are with yourself and those close to you about like, this affected me in this way. So um, next time I'm having that issue, I can look back on this time and remember what helped me and and employ that again so that I can, you know, maybe have less of a hard time next time. One thing that's so funny is um, I'm seeing people say, not often, because, you know, I've built up my boundaries with social media, but I'm seeing some people say here and there, what happened to Jinx's narcolepsy? Does she still have it? This is me publicly saying narcolepsy is chronic. It doesn't go away. I have just gotten to a place where I manage my symptoms better by being completely honest with myself about my limitations and my needs. 
But also, I made a point when I went on All Star 7 to say, I don't want my narcolepsy to be a, a, a storyline. I don't want mm-hmm. it to be pushed or pulled or anything. I was like, you keep the cameras on us. You're going to get us. You're going to get me sleeping. Like, we don't have to stage anything. We don't have to, like, make a thing out of it. I'd rather show what I actually live like with narcolepsy than show, you know, a storyline. And in that, you know, like, they, they, I think they decided not to use footage of me sleeping because I know I woke up with cameras on me, like, multiple times. <laughs> um during the roast, I took a nap during, um, I mean, there were countless challenges where I was like working and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up and there were three cameras poised on me. And I actually really appreciate that, like, they they took what I said to heart and they, All Star 7 was just such a blessed experience and I'll never stop talking about how privileged <laughs> because, yeah. you know, yeah. I know what... I've now it. had I've now had a regular season and an all winter season. And I I think you could guess which one I prefer, but right. <laughs> I have an experience that goes, yeah, but um, I definitely can agree with you in the sense that like um in going into a season and, and like living your season, I honestly like even though it was stressful and it was a crazy time, I genuinely had fun. Like mm-hmm. there were of course daunting times or of course emotional times and more emotional yeah. times that they even showed so I was crying almost every day but yeah. when I look back at it it's just you know it's it's kind of like a sense of like I achieved something you know that like I wanted but also at the same time like I kind of you know realized that like what I did on the show was you know kind of like an opening to me is like what I need to focus on in my health. You know, looking back at yourself on TV, you can see all the flaws that you see in yourself that you haven't necessarily been honest with, you know, and in I think HD. that. In HD, <laughs> mama, in HD. <laughs> oh, yeah, mama. Oh, my God. <laughs> all out, everything. They get you at your peak moments. And uh, yeah, you, like, and your rawest and your most ugliest. And I think what it does, is it helps you, you know, kind of, realize what you went through and where you want to go with like you know if you were to ever go back or and like things like that and how you want to you know be and how you want you know your yeah. your yeah one of the things i love about watching all stars is not only you know typically it's queens i've worked with since their original season so it's like watching all my friends you know playing games together and that's a lot of fun but <laughs> i think for every all-star season, um, not just an all-winners one, but the queens go in with such a stronger sense of self, mm-hmm. you know, because when you go through, you know, when you when you do a season and then do life that follows after a season, I learned so much about myself so quickly, and it was so rapid because you're being put under these extreme circumstances and that like what I what I often say is like anything you have buried before you hit this this <laughs> stride is gonna come to the surface very yep. quickly because you're gonna be tested um and I just 
you know, I guess that's why I'm very, very happy to talk about my experiences, happy to talk about my own mental health, because there was no crash course. There's no crash course for it, you know, there. And I talked to Queens constantly. You know, I was meeting, you know, all these previous winners like at my gigs sharing their experiences, but I feel like none of us felt like we could talk about what was hard about it. You know, we, there was such an emphasis on if you complain, you're not grateful. And it's like, there's a difference between complaining and airing your grievances. You know? yeah. Pretty, yeah. I think that's the community as well. It's like, we don't necessarily always talk about what we are mentally going through. Like a lot of us drag girls and I can attest, you know, we, we say we're fine. We say we're good. We're here for the job. And, you know, we're excited to be there. But like when we get back to that hotel room, you know, after the gig, sometimes you're like mentally just gone and you can't always, you know, pick yourself back up and things like that. And I think, you know, communicating, like, like you said, like some people think of it as, you know, being, you know, I'm complaining. I'm mad. It's like, you're not grateful, but like, if you're just communicating with people and just saying, hey, I'm not at the mental space where I should be to give you my best foot forward, it's, you know, I think it's the best thing you can do, you know, not only for yourself, but also like the people that want to book you and things like that. Like if you're not going to give your 110% because you're mentally not okay or mentally ready, then like that should be, you know, a fair enough, you know, indication to the people that wanted to book you that like, hey, I should respect that. And I should also realize that like everybody goes through things. We're not superheroes in the sense that like we're invincible, like we don't, our weakness, you know, it's, it's like we have our one weakness and that's mental health usually with drag queens. That's our <laughs> kryptonite is like our mental sanity. And, you know, sometimes we have to take that in the forefront rather than our career to get it really going yeah. so everyone can enjoy it. Absolutely. You know, uh, we've talked so much and, and for this being our first time talking, it, I really feel like, gosh, we have a lot of parallels. We we're both do. We're both trans redheads with partners named Michael. So oh basically, what else is there? <laughs> and we play video games. The only difference is I look looking like, uh, you know, a glamour whore. And you're given, you know, the, what should we call it? Broadway vaudeville. That's the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> the the way I've been describing myself lately in my comedy sets, um, out of drag, I say, if you need to picture me out of drag, just imagine Helena Bonham Carter with razor burn. <laughs> That's like my <laughs> aesthetic. <laughs> oh my God. That is great, um, yeah. I want to congratulate you on ev everything you've had going on post-drag race. I, I hope the Vegas show was fun. I want to congratulate you in your life's journey. You know, um, last question I want to ask before we get into our compulsory questions. I don't care yeah. that we're going over time. I want to know, um, where were you at in your gender journey before you went on Drag Race? And was there a sense going in that you would be coming out as trans during filming? Like, did you go in thinking, it's a possibility that when I come out on the other end of this, I'm going to have come out to the world? I, I That definitely was a thought in my mind when going in. Now, mm -hmm. before getting the call, I think it was like, last couple of like rounds of auditions mm -hmm. and there was one night you know I had you know a interview and then I got off the phone and I was just sitting with my boyfriend and I, like I just broke down kind of and I was just like I don't know what's gonna happen like 
I'm going on a reality TV show if I get the chance. And I don't think I'm like, I'm not going in as myself. Like I'm not ready. I'm not, I was like, I'm, I'm going in as a gender that I don't feel comfortable with. Like I didn't know how to like handle it. And I kind of just broke down to my boyfriend. I was just like, I'm like, I use the buffer of just like, I think I'm non-binary trans and I don't know how I'm going to handle on the show. Um, and I don't know where my mental state is going to be. And, you know, going into the show, I kept it very, you know, I'm a gay boy. I'm a twink. I do this. I'm just like, you know, I just like looking that. And I think that's what I thought was going to help me like kind of like combat it and not talk about it. But like, while you're there in that pressure cooker situation, when your mind's going a million miles a minute and you can't focus on anything other than the competition and what you're going through internally, it, you know, it kind of just buzz like, fizzles up and bubbles and just, you know, keeps on festering and like until you need release, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think up until that episode, when I came out and untucked, I was so hyper-focused on, you know, not letting that side out of me or also, you know, just, you know, being super confident in my drag to like, where no one could question it, you know? And I think, you know, with that, you know, came the hindrance of, you know, not living authentically and going in I was I told myself I'm not going to talk about it I'm just going to let it go and then maybe after the show I'll start my transition you know maybe once I get enough finances and I can you know get the confidence to do it you know I would I would do it but I think that you know come that moment there in that untucked was you know my literal awakening in terms of Mm -hmm. like not like holding it in you know I would be so scared. Like, I remember before going, just even like saying the words, like trying to get out of the word, my mouth, I am trans. It was the hardest, you know, thing to even like put a sentence out to say that. So when even I, when I sit out on the show and you see my body literally like release, it's because I've been holding it in for like all of my life. I remember my entire life, you know, I know this is going to sound stupid, but like tucking my dick in between my legs and thinking that I'm a woman and just like looking in the mirror and just being like, this is what I want. And, you know, like just looking at like my sister and my mom and just being like, why am I not like them? And why, why am I me right now? And why am I not like them? And I always, you know, I kept it very to myself because also like I have the biggest respect for my father. I love him to the death. And I remember when coming out, it was such a hindrance in his life that he did like, Mm. he could not mentally take it. Mm. And I, you know, let him take his time and to grieve with it and, you know, to become accepting. But for me to think of coming out again to disappointing my father again, it was just Mm. such a, you know, mental block that like, I couldn't get over. I was just like, I literally told myself, like, I probably won't transition until my father passes. And because of Mm. just respect out of him, because I knew that I didn't want to, you know, hurt him or make him feel as if he did something wrong as a father, you know. But when my dad did find out that I was trans, it was literally the day of the episode I called him before. I was just like, I don't want to bombard you. I wasn't going to tell you, but I think I need to tell you. And he took it like very chill, like which I was so surprised, you know. And you don't think, you know, family members who have, you know, been very particular in some type of way before would be so accepting you know, the second go around. Mm -hmm. And I think what made me feel more confident in my transition was when I did call my dad and he was cool with it. 
I didn't really feel as if there was anything holding me back anymore from continuing my HRT and getting things going. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a really, that's a really lovely story because I think that, you know, you're absolutely right. Like if you've had that kind of tension before, of course, that's going to be a huge anxiety in your mind. If you have something that's going to like feel that way again, mm-hmm. what it sounds like to me is yeah. that your father loves you so much that he learned what went wrong, like what he could have done better the first time yeah. and, and, and apply that to your second coming out. I saw this in my mother because my mom didn't, oh, uh, you know, it wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best. It was, there were rocky moments. It was like, it was also like baffling to me because I'm just someone who, you know, like when I came out as queer and trans, both times it was kind of like, do I even have to do this? Like, you know, you know, right? Like we we all know what we're talking about here. Um, So my mom having a problem with it, I was kind of like sidelined a little bit because I was like, this can't be a surprise to you. But Mm. when my youngest brother came out as queer, my mom was a completely different parent. And she yeah. even said later to me, since you put me through the ringer with your coming out, I learned how to be better for your brother's coming out. Right. So I, you know, like it's not everyone, not everyone becomes a better person if you give them the chance, but yeah. if you give them the chance, some do, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in like, you know, let it, if someone wants to genuinely amend a situation, I give yep. them the chance. And, but then also you got to see when patterns repeat, mm-hmm. like, don't, yeah, it's don't like, deny it's when the, you see patterns repeat. Yeah. <laughs> it's give them that opportunity, but if they do it again, just know you need to keep your distance. You know, I think, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like that real housewife intro line. I give people <laughs> enough rope to hang themselves with and the yeah, smart ones don't. <laughs> yeah, it's very that. It is very that day-to-day life in general, yeah. So Jasmine, We Mm -hmm. have come to the end of our lovely conversation, but I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest and um, I'm going to ask them and you may answer however you feel. I love, (laughs) I love, let's do it. First question, (laughs) who is your celebrity crush today? Crush today? Ooh, probably like Andrew Garfield right now (laughs) he kind of looks like my boyfriend but also if we're gonna go like you know a little bit more like like classic hollywood i would always have to say brad pitt just a classic like you know he's always a good time and also you kids you kids with (laughs) classic hollywood and you said brad pitt do you know what was I was working in Australia and we had this tour assistant, this very, very sweet, very good at their job, young twink. Um, And one night we were having dinner and um, he was talking about his ideal relationship. And he said, you know, 
I just really want to have that classic romance, you know, like that classic Taylor Swift love story. No. And I was like, no, 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 no. no, no. Taylor Swift is classic. <laughs> the oldies. Um, yeah. My next question for you is, are you spiritual? Spiritual, yes, because I definitely do base myself in like astrology. You know, I've, I've always gravitated towards, you know, moon rising or like moons and, you know, sun risings and readings of the stars. And, you know, I definitely do think that like the math behind it is very, you know, statistical. And, you know, I'm very, you know, I like to know matter of fact and it kind of works out for me. But, um, yeah, but you failed statistics, remember? I know. Statistics, <laughs> I failed, but I like, I like to know that they're but like, she working. likes it. <laughs> I like it. I like the challenge, but like, <laughs> But I was, as a kid, I did, you know, grew up baptized in the, you know, which we call it in the church. And I went into church probably until like sixth grade. Um, and like, you know, even though I'm not, I don't practice, you know, whenever I'm in a sticky situation or like I'm really stressed out, you know, I'll put out a prayer once in a while. I'll be like, hey, God, I hope you're looking out for me. But I'm not like, I, do I think it's God himself? No. Do I think it's a, there's a higher power? Yeah. I don't know what it's called though. So I just, you know, find, you know. Sanity and astrology. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, I have to, I have to agree. I find sanity in astrology. And I do think that like, if there's any scientific validity to astrology, if people need that, just think about the cyclical nature of the earth. Like everything's yeah. ha happened cyclically. And if we know that like, you know, like if we also just think about statistics of like, if you were born at this time of year, you were uh -huh. probably like, how close are you to Christmas? Um, uh, it's going to be all of these little factors that play mm -hmm. into who you become as a person. And yep. then if other people were born at the same time of year, they're going to have those same factors mm -hmm. uh, that you're dealing with. And so eventually um, there are going to be enough people with similar traits based on when they were born, that there yeah. is some validity to yeah. saying people born at this time of year tend to um, behave this way. Anyway, yeah. I could go on. Don't get me started on astrology or I ghosts know, I or I'll too. go on and on about it. <laughs> It'll be another 45 minutes. <laughs> my next and final yes. question for you is what is your go-to karaoke song uh would you be embarrassed to hear that i never done karaoke in my entire life <laughs> no but if i, were, I feel if like I you were, can you could synthesize this question yeah. for me if I like were, if your friends if, forced you to sing a song in front of them the song would be it would probably be cowboy casanova by carrie underwood <laughs> I know it's a classic, so a classic country <laughs> standard. I don't know why it's like I don't know that song is always just like the beginning of it. It's like you better take it from me. This boy's like a disease. I don't know. I just always am a fast talker, and that song has a little bit of a fast twang to it. Yeah, I just feel like a patter song. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could be Carrie Underwood, even though I can't sing for shit. I think I'm hurt. <laughs> Well, Jasmine, it has been just such a wonderful delight getting to know you better. Um, what's coming up for you? What do you want the listeners to know? Where can they find you on the socials? 
Oh, yeah. Well, I am going to be joining Mary and Peter Presents for the All Drag Queen Christmas. I'm doing all 36 dates, so make sure to catch me there. Um, and then uh, tickets for that is dragpants.com. And, you know, social media, it's all Jasmine Kennedy. Um, hopefully soon um, I will be starting, you know. I'm trying to get into that, like, whole YouTube thing. I know the girls, <sighs> it's a big thing nowadays for the girls, but, you know, I... Like we say, we need a break at home to get some of that stuff set up. So I probably yeah. won't be starting that until, you know, after the tour. But, you know, I'm I'm open to anything and everything that comes my way. And I will never say no to a check. So I, you'll see me soon. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, Jasmine, it's been so lovely getting to know you. Um, I can't wait for our paths to cross in, in real space, <laughs> yes, <laughs> in physical yes. space. But until then, thank you for joining me today on my podcast. <laughs> thank you for having me, babes. It's been a pleasure. This is, I think, actually my first podcast ever since the season. So you broke oh, my I'm... carry. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a nickel. Anyway. Um... <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx. Oh. Mom! To listen to Hi Jinx one day early and ad free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.